0: We have made it to uh, John chapter 6. We're going to pick up again where we left off last week. And uh, we'll start uh, on verse 30. And before I get into that, I just want to say that this passage of Scripture, um, I'll just start off by saying, has caused immense debate and actually division. For now, 2,000 or so years. Uh, Yeshua's gonna make some statements in this passage that are extremely difficult. As Miss uh, Susan was sharing with the kids, uh, he's gonna make some statements about, you know, his flesh and his blood and, you know, uh, eating him, you know, and you're like, what? Uh, And so it was a, a very divisive. Uh, are some divisive statements. Um, And a lot of people leave uh, from following him because of him making the statement. So uh, from this, we've had all kinds of, um, even if you will, I think, uh, strange doctrines, church practices and stuff that revolve around these statements. And once again, it actually becomes more clear when we read our Bibles in, in context, um, and actually it should be pretty simple, uh, but we, just like the people that he's talking to, have a tendency to literally compartmentalize what we read and what we hear and what we see. We'll instantly see something, hear something, read something, our brain starts, it doesn't really shut down, it shifts gears. You hear something, you go, whoa, and all of a sudden your brain is doing this while somebody's still talking. And you're instantly going, oh no, whoa, 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 and you're trying to figure this out and you start rationalizing things and start figuring things out while they're still talking and you're not hearing anything. Same kind of thing happens when you read. You ever been reading and reading in a book? Maybe it's a technical book or even a novel or whatever. And you're reading, hopefully I'm not the only one that does this, you're reading, all of a sudden your brain goes, woo and t- takes a right-hand turn, you're still reading. Your brain's doing this, and your, your mouth or mind's still going over these words. You get halfway down the page, or maybe you turn a page and you go, hold on a minute, what did I just read, right? I'm not the only one, and some of y'all are laughing, okay. And so then you start flipping pages again, going, okay, now where was I, and what was that rabbit I was chasing? Well, that kind of thing happens when you're reading, when you're seeing something, when you're hearing something. We're no different than these people that Yeshua was talking to. So let's look at this and try to put this in context where his statements hopefully will make more sense. Once again, I did leave you some spot on your page to make some notes. I did, once again, I did not give you the cross-references. I'm going to bring up a number of them. Um, I'm going to try to stay with your notes, uh, but I I usually just have like post-it note type stuff in my Bible, and then I just share out of, prayer, and study. So we'll see what the Holy Spirit does today, amen? So in verse 30, let's just read 30 and 31, it says, so they said to him, what sign do you do, would you do, so that we see and believe in you, or believe you, what would you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it has been written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Now here's what's amazing. Miss Susan shared with our kids just prior to me coming up here, something that we tend to forget. So we tend to forget who's talking. We tend to forget the context, right? So these people say, what? sign do you give? Now this is in reference or a response to what he said in verse 29. Let me just read that for reference sake. Yeshua answered and said to them, this is the work of Elohim that you believe in him whom he sent. He's already been referring to the fact that that's him. So then they go, so then, well, what sign do you do so that we can, we can believe you? Who just said that? These are people that followed him from the southern end of the Sea of Galilee. Remember, we looked at that map last week. <clears throat> they went up to the city of Tiberias. He's not there, or it's also called Canaret, that same city, which is also this, the name of the, the sea. They find that he's not there. They go, <clears throat> he must have gone farther. They go up to Capernaum or Kafar nechum, in in Hebrew. Uh, they go, how'd you get here? You know, all those kinds of questions. <clears throat> so they're chasing him down because of the miracles he's been doing. They were at the southern end and he just fed 10,000 plus people with a sack lunch. They're so enamored with him being the prophet. These are the people that said, he's the prophet, we're going to make him king. They were ready to do that. Yeshua goes, Whoa, you know, he kind of puts the brakes on that. They go out into the sea. The sea's raging. You know, Peter's walking on the water, all that kind of stuff. Poof, teleportation (laughs) basically happens. Them and the boat end up in Capernaum or Capernaum. These are the people that just followed him up there, chased him down. Some of them ran, some of them went by boat. It's fascinating that these same people now are saying, so then what sign are you going to do so that we can believe you? Who else just said that just prior to this when he was in Jerusalem? The Yehudim, the religious leaders in Jerusalem were like, what are you doing? Well, then what sign are you going to give us so that we can believe you? They've seen miracles. These are the same people going, okay, now hold on a minute. You were in the mountains. We saw your disciples leave. These other boats show up. We all get in the boat. We go to Tiberias. You're not there. We then take the boats to Capernaum, and you're already here. How'd you get here? And you can just imagine... Because we don't have everything written in the Bible that happened, you understand that? So you can just imagine while all these conversations are going on, what do you think the disciples are saying? Man, you should have seen this, man. And you're gonna believe this. Pete got out of the boat. <laughs> right? I mean, if you saw that, wouldn't you be telling everybody? Not only was Yeshua walking on the water, Pete got out of the boat. Talk to him about it. You wanna see it cool. Our minds are still purple smoke, man. Blew my mind, right? That's what they got to be talking about, talking to these people. And these people have the gall to say, well, then what sign are you going to give us? Although it's a very pointed question. Miracles are one thing. Signs are another. Remember, we talked about this a little bit last week. A sign does what? It tells you what path you're on, whether the right one or the wrong one. Now we got that lady on our phone telling us to turn right here, and we turn. You know, but the sign, the street signs and stuff, tell you what that street is, and hopefully that's the street you're trying to be on. That's what a sign points you somewhere. It says, "All right, 635's coming up. You want to go east or west?" Because you better decide now, because in about a quarter of a mile, you're not going to have a choice. You're going whatever direction, whatever lane you're in, if it's at five o'clock, right? So you're looking at those signs, trying to figure out what lane you need. So that's what a sign does. And so they're asking, okay, now give us a sign. It's important to remember that as we read through this. Now, as we read through this, it says, what sign do you do so that we can see? And what are you going to do? And then they, you have to what? Keep reading if you're going to read it in context, right? So they're asking for a sign, and then they make a statement, a comparative statement. We need you to give us a sign. Our fathers had a sign in the wilderness. It was the manna. Folks, there were just a few things that were put in the Ark of the Covenant. One of them was a jar of the manna. Do you know what manna means in Hebrew? It means what is it? Now, they referred to it as bread, but every day when they were going out there to pick it up, they were like, we're going out there to pick what is it, and we're going to eat some what is it, and we're going to have some what is it Pancakes. We're going to have some what is it bagels. We're going to have some what is it tortilla soup. They, they made it into everything, right? But it was the what is it. That's very important. <laughs> so <clears throat> he goes, they say, our fathers ate the man in the wilderness as it's been written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. So they just asked for a sign, and they're saying, we had a sign in the wilderness Moses gave us this bread. This, what is it? So they're asking for a comparison. That's why the rest of this chapter, Yeshua is constantly going back to him being the bread of heaven. This is what you ate in the wilderness. This is what you need to eat now. As a sign, you want that kind of sign? Well, I'm going to give you a sign. The problem is most of them weren't ready to receive it. So let, let's go on starting picking up with verse 32. So then he corrects he corrects their misunderstanding of their own scriptures. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it should be simple. But you have to remember now, by the time Yeshua comes up on the scene here, it's been 1,500-plus years since they came out of Egypt. That's a long time, right? Um, Can traditions get a little distorted after 100 years? How about 15 of those? (laughs) It can really get a little bit out of whack. Especially when you get very comfortable uh, having someone else tell you what your Bible says. And especially if you don't have one yourself that you can read. Which was the case 99% of the time. It wasn't that they couldn't read, it was that it was very expensive to have one of these because it was handwritten and had to be overseen by the rabbis. It, you know, You couldn't get a Kindle version for 10 bucks. I mean, You had to be really wealthy to own one of these. <clears throat> so they became very comfortable listening to a rabbi tell them, this is what it means, this is what you're supposed to do, let's go on. Because they didn't have their own copies most of the time. Didn't mean they couldn't go to the synagogue and read one, but it was always overseen. It, was, it just wasn't as easy as we have it today. So he says to them in verse 32, therefore Yeshua said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread out of heaven. You guys got this backwards. It wasn't Moses that gave it to you. But my father gives you true bread out of heaven. Then this statement is huge. He goes, for the bread of Elohim, the the bread of God is he, not what, but who. The bread of God is he who comes down of heaven and gives life to the world. They didn't miss this. So they go, well, then give us this bread always. Always. He told them, he said, it's the one who comes down out of heaven. He's already been referring to this before they even get here. That he and the father are one, all these other kinds of statements. And now he's going, it is he who comes down of heaven. That's the bread. And they're like, well, then let me have it. Who's that sound like? Woman at the well. Let me have this water so I don't get thirsty. He's trying to tell them, you just asked for a sign. I just told you. The problem is, all you wanna do is eat, physically. You're still here because I filled your belly, you're not, you're not, you're hearing me, but you're. I'm still talking and your mind is way over here. You just gave me a reference saying, Moses gave us this bread and then I just corrected you and said it wasn't Moses, it was my father. Here's the true bread of heaven, it's him who comes out of heaven from God. Well, then let me have that bread so I can eat. You can almost imagine Yeshua just going, time out, hey, look at my lips. Pay attention, because they're just not getting it. So um, they say, uh, then give us this bread so that we can have it always. So then in verse 35, Yeshua said to them, I am the bread of life. He's going to go on as we march through this. It can't be any more clear because he's going to say, I am, I am he, I'm the bread, I will raise it up. I, I, so many times in this passage, I didn't even count them all. You'll have to go through there yourself and count them, but he can't be any more clear. It's like he's just beating it over and over and over again because the people just aren't listening. He goes, "He who comes to me shall not get hungry at all, and he who believes in me shall not get thirsty at all. But I said to you that you have seen me and you still don't believe." Before he even continues, he's like, "You just asked for a sign. <clears throat> I told you what it is, it's me, I'm the bread." You came here because I filled your belly, but the problem is you can't see the signs, and you're asking for signs, but you're not really looking for the sign. You really don't want a sign. You want another miracle. I'm trying to tell you that I'm the sign that should point you to the right way, and you can't get it. I already told you you've seen me, and you still don't believe. It's almost like he's saying... All right, I was in the southern part of the sea. I waited. Did Yeshua know that this was going to take place? Yes, we covered all that. He waited until he was about 10 miles from the other side. When they get in the boat, they go forward, which is a a portrait. It should be pointing them to the fact of him restoring the two kingdoms. as the 10 northern kingdoms. There's all this other stuff going on. They chase him down. They finally find him. He's like, you're looking at me. What else do you want? These are the people that already declared that he was, now watch this, the prophet. Not a prophet, the prophet. The prophet spoken of by God that would come like Moses, that God said, I'm going to put my words in his mouth. You are to listen to every single thing that he says, and any person that doesn't, I personally will hold you accountable for it. They already said he's the prophet. We're going to make him king. So it's like Yeshua's going, how many? You don't want a sign. That's the problem. You don't want a sign. Verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. You might want to write that. You might want to circle that, (laughs) highlight it, either in your notes, even better yet, in your own Bible, if you're okay with that. Uh, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I shall by no means cast out. Here we see this concept of all that come to Yeshua only come because the Father calls them or gives them to Yeshua. It's not based on our knowledge or goodwill, but the will of the Father to save us in spite of ourselves. Folks, you might want to jot down next to that Romans 5.8. Uh, Romans 5.8 basically says that God demonstrates his love toward us in this, that while we were still enemies of God, Yeshua died for us on the cross. While we were still sinners. What we're seeing here is that he's trying to tell them over and over and over again, my father is the one that will give you the ability to even understand what I'm saying. But here's the flip side of that truth. Because we want to then say, well, then it's all God's fault if I don't come into the kingdom. Here's the flip side of that story. When you're reading this and you understand this, it, or, or when you're reading it, watch this. If, he, if you can't get it, that should be your red flag. If it doesn't click, you should go, oh my Lord, I got a problem. But we typically don't do that. We typically don't. Um, But we should. That should be our warning signal. Uh, But we just have a tendency to not respond to it. Verse 38. He goes, because I have come down... Out of heaven, not to do my own desire, but the desire of him who sent me. This is the desire of the Father who sent me, that all that he has given me, I should not lose of it, but should raise it in the last day. Now he's really talking, he's like, this is this eternal life I'm talking about. When you come to me, watch this, because they're, they're still thinking, I want the food so I don't get hungry here. I want this so I don't get thirsty here. And he's saying, when you come to me, I will raise you up on the last day. Well, then what does that mean? It means, folks, that if the Lord tarries, everybody in this room will die one day, physically. You know, if he takes another 80, 90 years depending on how old I'm trying to look around, you know, 80, 90, 100 years to be safe, Uh, all of us in the room will pass one day, right? But he says, but when you come, so it's not just that. He's saying, when you come to me, I will raise you up on the last day. But you're not going to be longing for this other stuff because you'll get it. Does that make sense? Uh, He continues on in verse 40, and this is the desire of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should possess everlasting life. And he's going to say it again, and I shall raise him up in the last day. Now watch this. It says, therefore the Yehudim, the Jews, when you see that in the, the uh, scriptures version that I'm giving you, that I am after the word there, usually, and it will be when, it, when they give us the Hebrew word, Yehuda would be, does that sound like Judah? There's no J sound in Hebrew, so it's Yehuda. <clears throat> so Ye- Yehudim, when you see the I-M, that's the plural. Like the difference between cat and cats, dog and dogs, you know, fish and fishes, <laughs> sheeps and sheeps, you know. Um, it's, the, it's like our S at the end of the word, it just makes it plural. So here it's saying, so this Yehudim, this is not the Yehudoi, which are the religious leaders. The Yehudim are just the generic Jews' term there. Uh, They're grumbling against him because they said, I'm the bread which came out of heaven. So now they're like, they're confused, so now they're debating among themselves. We don't understand. What in the world is he talking about? Isn't that weird? They just asked him for a sign, and they used as a reference the manna. And so Yeshua goes, I'm, I'm that. That's me. But it wasn't Moses. You just said it was Moses. It's not Moses. You can't get this? It's in your Bible. Go read it. Uh, it was God that gave it. It wasn't Moses that gave it. <clears throat> so in verse 42, it says, they said, is, this not, is, this, is not this Yeshua, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how is it then that he says, I came down of heaven? So watch this. They know who he is and where he's from. These are the same people that said, we know he's the prophet. Does that sound bizarre? <clears throat> yes and no. We do this kind of, mental gymnastics all the time, lie to ourselves and everything else so often, Yeshua is God. And they just said, now we know he's the prophet, which means that he came from God like Moses. You're supposed to listen to everything that he says. Now he's saying something that they don't quite jive with. and They're like, hold on a minute. He just told us that he came down out of heaven. Thought he was the prophet. I don't know if he's the prophet now. Is, is he the Messiah? Is he the prophet? Or he? We wanted a sign so we know that we're supposed to believe in him and believe that he's really the Messiah. Now he's saying he came down into heaven. Well, how'd you come down into heaven? Because we know Joseph and Mary. They're doing all these gymnastics instead of just listening to what he says and watch this and accepting it because he is who he says he is. And they've already seen a lot of miracles, but they can't see the signs. The signs even though those miracles were the signs. Many of them were. Um, When Yeshua, I think I've mentioned this a number of times here, but when he would like heal uh, a lame man that was born lame or a blind person that was born blind, or watch this, even more so someone that was born mute and could not talk. And when he could restore speech to that person, they all all the Jewish people would say, rabbis, all of them would say, that is messianic and from God because you can't even get the demon to say who he is to try to rebuke him and get him out. Meaning, you know nothing, you can't do anything, and he was born that way, can't talk, can't communicate with you, give you a name, whatever, let you do some kind of incantation, all kinds of other weird stuff or whatever, meaning the only person, the only entity that could bring healing to that type of a situation is God himself. That makes sense? Those are the kinds of things Yeshua's doing. Nobody's seeing it other than just seeing another miracle and not going, well, that means God is with us. Now watch as this continues on. <clears throat> so they're grumbling among one, one, uh, each other about all this, Um, and they're saying, so how how can he say I've come down out of heaven? And so Yeshua in verse 43 says, he answers and says, don't grumble with each other. Stop debating this. Then here he's going to say it again. No one's able to even come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I shall raise him up in the last day. Now, That should have been their warning sign, right? It should be ours. Folks, if you read your Bible and it's not jiving with you, there's only one way to fix that. You need to pray and get closer to the, to the author. That's the only way to fix it. It's not going and listening to another good teacher or, or whatever or finding something on the internet. You should hit your knees and pray and say, God, help me understand this. I was saved as a teenager. This thought has now hit my mind twice since I stepped up here, so maybe I'm supposed to say this. I was saved young as a teenager at youth camp. I remember being in a in our Sunday school class, the church Sonia and I grew up in, and uh, I don't know how old I was, you know. And they would ask questions, uh, you know, about what we were reading, and I remember sitting in the room and uh, I'm looking at the passage, you know, and they, they said, you know, well, what is this? What do you think this means to you? And I remember a number of times I would just pop off an answer. I'd say, well, I think it says blah, blah, blah. And I remember the teacher, I don't remember who it was, but I remember going, well, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, that's awesome that you saw that. I'm like, isn't that just what it says? You know, I, I didn't think anything about it. <clears throat> and that went on for a, a little while. And then, uh, I don't remember now what the deal was, but I just remember that uh, I, I had one of those, I had a dry season. Wasn't really walking with God, you know, kinda, I don't know if I had a prideful thing. I don't remember now what the deal was. I just remember that I wasn't walking really with God. I remember sitting down, it wasn't anything major, but I just remember, I just, it wasn't walking with God. I remember sitting in the class, and I remember the teacher, same class, just a few months later, and I remember the teacher going, what does this say to you? And I'm looking at it and all I could see were words and nothing, nothing happened. And the teacher said, Paul, you've usually got some good answers, what do you think it says to you? And I went, I don't know. I went home and went, well, I'm reading my Bible but I'm not getting, no- I'm getting nothing. Nothing. And you know what, it scared me and i remember praying and searching for god and it took a while it took a while it didn't just happen overnight i kept praying like god I, you know can you bring that back because i don't i'm not feeling it i'm not feeling you i'm not I'm, just, I'm not even getting anything and i know i'm the problem and i had to pray and pray and pray and then all of a sudden it started happening and i was like thank you jesus or stuff would just come to me. All I'm saying is that if that happens in your life, that should be your warning. When the Holy Spirit's not speaking to you, folks, it means you need to get closer to the author because he's always speaking. The problem's not with the book. It's not with your boss. It's you. It's, it's you. It's us. <clears throat> And so he's you know he's like look you can't even come to me unless the father draws you. He's telling them that. Why would he say that? Because God is honest. He's not one, he doesn't want anyone to perish. It should be a warning sign we say, I want to come. But we're so self-centered we typically don't do that. We just go I don't, know, I, don't I don't I'm not getting it. And then we go on. Well, he's telling us all this, so it should help us. <clears throat> and then watch this, because he says, and I'm going to raise him up on the last day. It has been written in the prophets, they shall be taught by Yehovah, God. Everyone then who has heard from the Father and learned comes to me. There he's going to say it again. Now, here's what's fascinating about him making that statement. Because He says, It has been written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Or in the version you've got, it's the name Yehovah. It's been written in the prophets, everyone's going to be taught by Yehovah. So he's telling them that. Here's what you need to understand. They have read their Bible, been taught their Bible enough that people would make a short statement and the people that were hearing, the Jewish people that were hearing, knew what reference that was to even though they didn't, weren't dealing with chapter and number. It didn't work that way. You following me? It didn't work that way. <clears throat> uh, when Yeshua's hanging on the cross, and he says, my father, my father, you know, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, Labak, Samakthani is how it's said. The people watching knew that knew their Bible, he's referencing Psalm 22. He's telling them, I am Psalm 22, hanging here. That's what he was saying. Everybody was confused saying, oh, he's Elijah, he's calling out to God, da, da, da. But that's not what he was saying because it was like him hanging there saying, here's one for you, John 3.16. Everybody here in the room knows that. John 3.16 hadn't been written yet. So he's talking to these people going, I'm Psalm 22. Go read it. You know it. I'm Isaiah 53. He was making those kinds of statements hanging on the cross. When he was making these short statements, he's once again saying, here's your sign. Here's your sign. Here's your sign. Here's the reference. Here's your sign. Here's the biblical reference. Here's the prophecy. Here's your sign. Here's your sign. Here's your sign. Here's your sign. sign." Nobody reading the sign. Everybody wanting a miracle, nobody reading the sign. So right here he goes, it's been written in the prophets that all will be taught by Yahovah. We're so disconnected from our Old Testament roots that we'll read that and not get it unless we go look it up. And that's a crying shame. Because you know what he's referencing? He's referencing the new covenant. And the new covenant... Once again, I'm going to show you here because I've been refer- talking about this. He's now, he crossed the ocean, either asked of the sea 10 miles, the 10 northern tribes, all this stuff. He said, I only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, on and on and on, all these things. Now he's referencing the new covenant, Jeremiah 31:31. This is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I'm going to bring them all back, and when that happens, they will all be taught by God. Listen, uh, let me give you a few references. Isaiah four, uh, 54, 13. you have to write these down. You don't have them. Isaiah uh, 54, 13, it says, And all your children taught by Yehovah and the peace of your children, that, that it will be great. <clears throat> but then you get to, it, so th- this, it's not just isolated to that one Passage. It's in a number of passages, but watch this. <clears throat> Jeremiah 31, basically 33 and 34. I gave you the first part of that, but it's it starts really with 30 verse 31, but we're going to jump forward to verse 33. For this is the covenant that I shall make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I shall put my Torah in their inward parts and write it on their hearts, and I shall be their Elohim, and they shall be my people. Verse 34, and no longer shall they teach each one his neighbor to each one his brother saying, no, God, no, Yehovah, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them declares Yahweh, for I shall forgive their crookedness and remember their sin no more. So this, <clears throat> he's, he's referencing a passage that they were familiar with and a truth that they were all holding on to. All of them held on to it. The kingdom had been ripped apart for over a thousand years. God said, I'm going to bring them back together. Folks, I'm jumping way ahead. But when Yeshua is about to ascend into heaven, his disciples, because everybody was hanging on this promise, they literally, right before he sins, they go, Is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom? I used to teach before I understood it that you couldn't get their eyes off of getting out from underneath Rome's thumb. I've said that in a sermon years ago. I look back now and think about some of the dumb stuff I used to say. It's scary. Uh, They understood that when the end of time came, he was gonna restore the kingdom, peace on earth, beat their swords into plowshares, everyone's going to know God, he's going to restore everything, and all the kingdoms of the earth will come underneath the Messiah's reign. So they believe that he really is God, he's now been murdered and resurrected, and they go, so is now the time? Is this when it's going to happen? He goes, cool your jets, here's what you need to do, <laughs> go over here and wait. He didn't say this, but you know, it's been now 2,000 years, Right? which is the equivalent of two days. Now, so that you understand that I'm also not just pulling this out of nowhere, in Hebrews chapter eight, so you need to write that down next to those other ones. Hebrews eight, verses 10 and 11. Hebrews eight, 10 and 11 says, because this is the covenant that I shall make with the house of Israel after those days, says Yehovah, giving my laws in their mind, and I shall write them on their hearts, and I shall be their Elohim, and they shall be my people, and they shall by no means teach one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, No, Yahweh, because they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. There it is in the book of Hebrews quoting this new covenant that was to come, or that we are now living in. The fulfillment of it's still being actualized as we speak, <coughs> but it's, a, it's about this. So he's selling them, I've been giving you signs, excuse me, I've crossed this sea, he's done a lot of stuff and he's like, and you can't get it. And I'm even gonna basically stand here and say John 3, 16 and you still can't get it. I'm gonna quote to you Jeremiah 31, 31 and following. All those are gonna be taught by Yahweh that should ring a bell for you and you're not gonna get that either. And because you're not getting it, that should be your sign you got a problem. But no one's even hearing that. Because <clears throat> he even says, you know, uh, because if you've, if you've heard from God the Father and you've learned, <clears throat> then you'll come to me. Which says you got to do more than just hear, means you got to pay attention, means you need to learn from it. Do the proper response. Then he goes on. He says, not that anyone who has seen the Father, except he who is from from God, he's seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he believes in me, possesses, present tense, everlasting life. You're going to possess it now. Then he says, uh, plainly, blatantly, I am the bread of life. (laughs) Now remember, what did they ask him? Because you need to read it in context. Show, me a, show us a sign. And then they said, what? Well, you know, our fathers ate the manna. It's in the ark. It's one of the major signs uh, that we were following God and doing what he said, and we ate manna in the wilderness for 40 years. What are you going to do? I am the bread. I came down out of heaven Moses didn't give it to you. God did. I came out of heaven. I'm the bread of life. Then look at this. He goes, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. What what is it that he's been talking to them about already? Everlasting life. They're putting all their stock in eating the manna and sustaining them in the wilderness, and they're asking for a sign, and they're there. Why? Because they really want their bellies filled. And that's why they said, well, then give it to us so that we don't get hungry. So he says, I'm the bread of heaven. It came from God. It didn't come from Moses. Here's something you're forgetting. You're putting stock in that, and you're forgetting that they died. (laughs) I'm trying to talk to you about eternal life. No one's hearing. He's saying it. And they're just not getting it. It's not. It's like he it can't be any more plain, and they're just not listening. They're seeing his mouth move, and nothing is connecting. Their brain is doing this. Yeshua's standing there talking, and they're like, Bleh. they're just not even getting it. <clears throat> um, let me write down or you, just read to you the notes that I wrote down. This is very important to focus on. Everyone was looking for. Uh, and wait, wanting the physical. But until heaven, all that is physical is temporary. Everything that comes physically it's still temporary until we're in heaven. Yeshua is life and eternal. <clears throat> Their death he's talking about is not eternal but physical because they're talking about the physical and they can't get past the physical. They want a physical sign. They want all this stuff before they really claim that he really is the Messiah and the prophet, but they still just are... Focusing on the physical and the here and now instead of what he's trying to tell them. Uh, Yeshua came and died to give us not only spiritual eternal life, but also a resurrected physical eternal life after the resurrection. He keeps telling them, I'm going to raise it up on the last day. You're not getting it. Until that happens, everybody here is still going to die, but I'm going to raise it up on the last day. And when that happens, you're going to have this eternal physical life, not this ghostly thing that we have a tendency to think. He's going to resurrect our bodies. Hallelujah. Surely he's going to give me hair (laughs) when that happens. Surely I won't have to go through eternity going, Man, what have you, known? You know? Uh, uh, <clears throat> so uh, he goes, I, you know, <clears throat> I am the bread. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness. He goes, this is the bread which comes out of heaven so that anyone that might eat of it and not die, I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he shall live forever. And indeed, the bread that I give is my flesh. <clears throat> which shall give... Which I shall give for the life of the world. So he's saying, this offer is for anybody that will come. We're so thick headed. This is where I think the idea is like, look, we're so thick headed. The only way we can really make it to God is if He just comes and gets us. Now, folks, if that can start to resonate, it takes away all pride. That's why the Apostle Paul said, Man, you know what? I know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I got nothing. You need to understand something. You're not here because you're all that. Even if you're saying, Yeah, but now I understand the Torah. Well, then you need to say, Thank you, God. It's not because we're so smart, it's so because we're getting so close to the end that he's whistling going, I need you to understand what I said so that when this stuff really hits the fan, you'll be properly prepared. Because he said in the last, he will whistle for us literally from the four corners, the four winds of the earth, and we will come back. And folks, I firmly believe that that's why God led us to name this, this fellowship Four Winds. I know that, I know that, I know. I remember where I was standing. I remember what happened when God said in that service, the name of this church, this new church, is going to be Four Winds. And I looked over at one of the other ministers and he goes, That's it, it. And I went, Yeah. And he knew it too Bill Watson. And I said, That's the name of the church. And he He goes, It is. That's it. And I went, Okay. Wow. (laughs) I'm like, put this together, and it wasn't until we come out here uh, and then God starts revealing all this stuff and I go, oh my goodness, because that's what it talks about when he's restoring everything and that he will call us back from the four winds, which is what's happening with us. I think it's awesome. So then you know, he says this stuff about this bread is his flesh, which I was going to give for the life of the world, Now watch this, therefore, in verse 52, the year of doom, therefore, we're striving with one another, saying, how is this one able to give us his flesh to eat? Folks, it's like a metaphor. It's a comparative statement. In the same way, the Bible is filled with this kind of stuff when he says that God is our strong tower, uh, he's our shield, our fortress, that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. I could go on and on and on. <clears throat> the Bible is filled with this kind of stuff, and so he's not saying, here, let me cut off my hand and you can have that for dinner, and then, and then you will have eternal life. And we laugh, Right? But there are plenty of churches and and people that actually believe that when you say a prayer over the Lord's Supper, that it physically turns into the body and blood of Yeshua. If you're not familiar with that, that is is a fact. Okay? Uh, And then this act of partaking of the Lord's Supper called the Eucharist actually provides salvation and eternal life. It's a doctrine called transubstantiation. It's transferred over when you do this thing because they take this passage and a couple others and they go, well you see, that's what he's saying, so that's what we gotta do. And folks, that's why there's all this, which makes sense now, right, when you understand doctrinally, why they wanna be very, very particular about who handles that stuff, who's praying over it, and how they're dealing with it during the service and after. Right? Because if it actually does turn into the body and blood of Christ, you don't want those crumbs laying around and have rats eat it. You don't want a rat eating Jesus. Right? And you don't want a rat getting drunk on Jesus. So you need to consume it. After the service... During the service it's going to be taken very careful it's going to be taken care of very carefully. You're not going to touch it. I'm going to put it in your mouth. We don't want any of it to fall on the floor. You following all that? And then therefore when then when it's done, it's going to get put back in a cabinet and locked up. Oh my goodness. But we do the same thing all the time. We take one verse, we hear one statement. It's hard to wrap your brain around. And because it's so harsh and kind of out there, your brain is just going, right? And the wheels are flying off, gears are flying apart. Yeshua's still talking, the Bible's still going, and we're just like, oh my goodness, this is too, this is too far out there. What in the world are you talking about? And we're not hearing anything else that he's saying or anything else that the Bible is saying. We, everyone here that has struggled with this idea of keeping Torah you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? When you first hear this, you go, oh, oh no, 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 no. We live under the new covenant. <laughs> Isn't that funny, right? We don't even know what the new covenant is. The new covenant is with the house of Judah and the house of Israel, and God's grafted us in. But we go, oh, I live in the New Covenant. That's in the New Testament. The Old Covenant's the Old Testament. You know that, Because that's the garbage we heard. So we start reading these things and go, oh, that just doesn't fit. And when our brain starts doing this, and what do we do? We keep reading until the brain starts to slow down and we can get calm again and keep going. <laughs> so we're not any different. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. So he says, uh... Man, so they're like, what is he saying here in verse 52? In verse 53, he says, Yeshua, therefore says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of Adam, the son of man, and drink his blood, you possess no life in yourself. That makes it pretty important, right? He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood possesses everlasting life. Then look at what he, and I'm gonna raise it up in the last day. Okay, but I want you to see why they're really struggling with this. They know their Old Testament. You need to jot uh, these two references down. It's in Leviticus, Leviticus 3:17. And then also Leviticus 17 verses 10 through 14. I'll read those for us. Leviticus 3:17, and then Leviticus 17. Ten through fourteen listen to this. Uh, <clears throat> this is an everlasting law throughout your generations and all your dwellings. you do not eat any fat or any blood. They knew that they were not to partake of eating or drinking blood. Verse ten of chapter seventeen, and any man of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among you, who eats any blood, I shall set my face against that being who eats blood and shall cut him off from among his people. Whoa. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your lives, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the life. Can I stop just for a second and point out that it doesn't say here that, aton- that the blood makes atonement for your sins to give you eternal life? Remember, because we've talked about that a lot here, that the sacrificial system was basically to keep your shoes clean when you came into the God's house. So right here he's saying, again, the, this blood atonement, because the life is in the blood, it's making atonement for your, life, your physical life, because this had to do with them coming in. Uh, it goes, in verse twelve. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, No being among you eats blood, nor does any stranger sojourns among you eat blood. If any man from the children of Israel or from the strangers who sojourn among you, who hunts and catches any beast or bird which is eaten, shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust, with dirt, bury it. For it is the life of all flesh. It's the blood. Its blood is for its life. And I said to the children of Israel, do not eat any blood of the flesh. For the life of all flesh is in its blood. Anyone eating, it is cut off. Yet the blood that is given for atonement for life, or yet it is the blood that is given for atonement for life. The Jews knew all of this very well, and this is what brought about their great confusion. They knew these statements, so when Yeshua says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, they're immediately going... Zone out. What did he just say? Right? Their their brain, the gears are flying. Teeth are flying off the gears, man. There's a train wreck in their brain, and they can't hear anything. They're like, what did he just say? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. What in the world? Because they've already forgotten what they asked. They asked for a sign and used the reference for the sign of eating the manna. Yeshua not saying, physically eat what's about to happen." He's like, "My body has been sent here to be broken for you that you might have you might have salvation." They're going, okay he's like. It wasn't Moses that gave it to you. It was God that gave it to you. And he's already said, look, this is the work of God to believe in the one whom he sent. Yet you're standing here saying you want your belly filled and at the same time saying that you want a sign. Yet you don't even have it in you to be able to read the sign that I'm giving you. So your bellyache, and I'm saying, look, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's almost like out of, I won't say frustration because he knows what's going on, but they just simply cannot handle it. <clears throat> so then watch this. <clears throat> so why did Yeshua make such a hard statement that has led to so much debate and even false doctrine about the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper? Answer, this is just some notes that I put down. It's more plain than we think if we will just slow down and read it in the full context, which is what I'm trying to do and teach us how to do that. Also, it it does contain an element of obscurity because the cross hadn't happened yet. And it needed to be hidden in plain sight. Now, you could be going, what? What?" Now, why would that be, in other words, He's talking plainly, but here's the caveat to that. Those of us that believe in Yeshua, we have the Holy Spirit, which is the author of the book. We also have the benefit of hindsight looking at this after the fact of the cross. Now let's get back into context. This is before the cross. When everybody is chasing Yeshua over the physical miracles, asking for signs, but not able to see the signs, and he knows that. But the cross hasn't happened yet. He's not gonna say, okay look, here's the shortcut. In just a short while, everybody's going to hate me and crucify me on the cross. But then guess what? That was my hidden plan from eternity past. And so then when, after that happens, then I'm going to come back to life and it's, we're all going to have a big party. We're going to reunite everything and it's all going to be fine. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he just tell them that? Pretty simple. Paul tells us you want to jot this one down in 1 Corinthians 2, 8. I've referenced this around here a lot, but you know to write this down. And you might put it there next to verse 54 or whatever because this is a harsh statement and it really rocked their boats and it messed their minds up. Can you, I mean, right? It's hard. Let's be honest and say that's, what? (laughs) But after the fact, we kind of go, yeah, 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 we get it, but they didn't. Watch what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.8. He says, he's talking about Yeshua and him coming him dying, all this stuff, and it being this mystery. And he says, which no one of the rulers of this age knew. For if they had known, they would have not impaled or crucified the king of glory. It wasn't until after the cross and the resurrection that the devil went, oh, nuts, I think I just made a major tactical error. Why? Because he's limited by time and space just like you and I, but God is not. And so before that, Yeshua, God is speaking plainly, sort of. He's telling all the truth. He's just not filling in some of the gaps that we now have, which is why they honestly went, what did he just say? What? What? Uh, can I regress here just for a second? <clears throat> How many of you here, at least in the past, hopefully you're, you're getting out of this now, but at least in the past, your idea of eternal life was only being in heaven In some mansion in heaven, this ethereal kind of existence, kind of nebulous, ghostly, spiritualized existence. Was it difficult to start wrapping your brain around the idea? He said, I'm going to raise you up, and I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, and uh, you're going to be living on the earth with God here with us. That's a little hard to wrap your brain around, right? But that's exactly what the scriptures do describe to us happening. It's gonna create a new heaven, a new earth, this new Jerusalem coming down. We're all gonna live in this place. It's gonna be the Garden of Eden that this was supposed to have been from the beginning. And we're gonna get a new body. When that happens, he's not gonna do away with the physical realm. He's going to redo it. And we're going to be his reflection on his creation. Hallelujah. But it takes getting into the word of God for what it says to start wrapping your brain around that. And then you go, whoa, that's a little different than what I used to believe. Yet that's what the word of God actually says. But we know that now because he's been filling in the gaps for us. For these people, this is prior to the cross and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There is no New Testament written, they're living it. So he says, You have to eat my body, drink my blood. And they're like, Whoa. Time out, hit the brakes. And almost all of them said, I'm out of here, I'm done you know what, this guy can pull a rabbit out of his hat, but I'm done. That's literally pretty much what they say. He goes on and he says, verse 55, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, for my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink, he who eats my flesh drinks my blood, he stays in me and I in him. As a living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, he who feeds on me shall live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and died. He who eats this bread shall live forever. Verse 59, he said this in the congregation, synagogue, church. Those are all the same word. It means a gathering of people. And he was teaching this in Capernaum. I have to go on because there's something I want to share with you. Verse 60. Therefore, many of his, many of those taught ones, many of those who heard this, said, "This word is hard. Who's able to hear it?" But in verse 61, but Yeshua, knowing within himself that his taught ones were grumbling about this, he said to them, "Does this make you stumble?" He's like, "Okay, so you're going to trip over this, right?" But what if you see the son of Adam going up where he was before? That was another statement they should have picked up on. They, they did, they just couldn't receive it. Hold on a second. He says, does this make you stumble? Watch this, jot this one down. 1 Corinthians one twenty 1 Corinthians one twenty three. Paul is saying, yet yeah, we do proclaim Messiah crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. They stumbled over it. They couldn't get it. And to the Greeks, craziness, foolishness. They're like, what? Okay, what? Um, Really outside of their work. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, we're unable to comprehend the mighty works of Elohim. Listen to this one in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Jot this one down, 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man does not receive the matters of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He's unable to know them because they are spiritually discerned. It's foolishness to those that don't have the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> they can't understand it. Why? Because it's spiritually discerned. We're constantly just simply looking for the physical, the here and now, the immediate gratification. Can I just not get hungry and thirsty? Can I just have my hair back? Can I just be 18 again without all the other craziness? <laughs> right? Uh, the list goes on and on. Can you just keep my car working? Every, everything, because we're just focusing on the here and now. <clears throat> he's saying, listen, eternal life is with God because he is your life. And he goes, Is this making you trip? This making you stumble? Which Paul brings up later. We just looked at. It. He goes, okay, what if you see the Son of Man, the Son of Adam, going back where he came from? What if what, what's gonna happen when you see that? We already know what he's referring to, right? about the resurrection. But remember, this is before the New Testament's written and before the resurrection, so what was he saying to them? That's what, what was he saying to them? It's another sign, it's a roadblock, a road sign that they knew this reference. Watch this, it's in Daniel chapter seven, write this one down, Daniel seven, verse 13 and 14. Daniel seven, 13 and 14, watch this. He goes, and I was looking in the night visions and saw one like the son of Adam or son of Enosh, son of Adam. Enosh is because it's in Aramaic in this section of Daniel. Um, Coming with the clouds of heavens and he came to the ancient of days, which they knew that that was a reference to God Almighty. And he brought him near before him and to him was given rulership and preciousness as a rain that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His rule is an everlasting rule, which shall not pass away. And his reign, that which shall not be destroyed. It's this son of Adam statement. This son of Adam or son of man. It is the most, uh, it is the most common reference Yeshua used talking about himself. He kept referencing himself constantly throughout his public teaching ministry as the son of Adam, or the son of man, son of man, son of man, son of man. All there in the book of Daniel, especially in chapter seven here, is this reference of this this throne room and this one like a son of man comes to the ancient of days and God says, and I'm gonna give you this kingdom that will never fail and you will rule it forever. And folks, that's why when Yeshua came, he came and preached what? Most people miss this. He came and preached the gospel of the kingdom. We read it, he came and preached the gospel. Hallelujah, amen, somebody, right? You know, glory, about salvation. No, he came and preached the gospel of the kingdom and said the the kingdom is here. It's here, it's among you. What's he talking about? He's restoring the kingdom underneath God's rule, all of the kingdoms that have been under the rule of all these demons. And he's saying, and through these people, these Jewish people, I'm going to prove that I am God, and this is the gospel of the kingdom. I'm going to bring the kingdom back, and I'm going to graft in all of those out of the world from the four winds back into this kingdom, and I'm going to do it in such a way that everybody and every demon's going to go, I didn't really see it coming that way. <laughs> wow, you really are God, aren't you? Yep. That's why he sits in the heavens and laughs at those trying to plan against him. So he says, uh, what, you know, what happens if uh, you see, see me coming back or going back to where I came from? How are you going to handle that one? Verse 64, <clears throat> but there are some of you here. Well, he, he goes on, he's, verse 63, I'm sorry. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh does not profit You're focusing on the flesh. You're just still not getting it. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Right here, he's saying, okay, you're tripping. You're tripping over this. Some of you are literally tripping out. (laughs) You know, your brain just fried, right? Now he's going to try to bring it back down. Look, the words that I'm giving you are spiritual. I'm talking about spiritual things, it's not the flesh. The flesh's not going to profit you anything. It's the spirit. I mean, that's what I'm after, and that's what I'm trying to teach you. They, they still can't get it. <clears throat> he goes, The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Verse 64 But there are some of you who do not believe. For Yeshua knew from the very beginning who they were who did not believe and who would deliver him up. Now, here's what I want to point out to you before we close this out tonight because it's really fascinating. They put all their stock in the manna in the wilderness as a sign. Once again, manna means what? It means what is it? God had them call it, what is it? You ever think about that? That literally for all eternity, they're going to keep referencing back to the, well, you know, the what is it gave them eternal life, gave, gave them life in the wilderness because they couldn't figure it out. So they called it, what is it? We're going to have some what is it tonight. It's at the restaurant called I Don't Know. <laughs> right? Uh, so they had the what is it as a sign And the sign was there in front of them that they couldn't figure out what he was. (laughs) You're going to tell me that God didn't wrap all this up inside and out. He tied it upside down, inside out, right side up, weaving this stuff back and forth. And he's going, you called it, what is it? And right now you're freaking out because you can't figure it out. And I'm telling you that it is spirit and you're thinking I'm talking about you eating this because you can't quite figure it out. And part of the reason is I'm not going to tip my hand because I'm about to fake out the devil with the greatest bluff he's ever seen. And the very one that's here that was in the boat that's going to give me up. I knew all that. I know exactly who's going to do what. And nobody murdered him. He laid down his own life freely. So he didn't tip his hand because he needed the devil to kill him. So that the the faithful husband could release the bride from the divorce certificate so that he could legally remarry her and through that process, which is the 10 northern tribes, and through that process, tell the devil and everybody else, you didn't see that coming, did you? You thought that in my own law, I couldn't break my own law, therefore I couldn't fulfill my own prophecy. (laughs) I had a way to deal with it. But you can't deal with it. And guess what? It just literally sealed your fate. Because now you can't stop it. But it is also the only hand left you have to play with. The cards are on the table, and all you can do is try to fake out everybody else around the table. But the dealer knows what cards you have. (laughs) And that's why he hates the Jewish people to this very day. So in verse uh, 65, and he said, because of this, I have said to you that no one is able to come to me unless it has been given to him by my father. Um, Well, because of what? Well, because he also knows that Judas is among them. And then it says in verse 66, from then on, many of those taught ones withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. He's walked on water. He's healed the sick and the lame. Some of these people had relatives that were healed. These people all got their belly fill on a sack lunch and saw them carry off 12 baskets full of the scraps that came out of a sack lunch. They chase him across the ocean, across the sea, and he makes this comment, this is what it's gonna take. I'm out. I didn't like that, I'm out. When he told them, I'm talking about spiritual things, but you can't hear it, can you? Because your mind is so focused on this other stuff. They were not walking with him anymore. The, physical, the political and physical enthusiasm over Yeshua being the king, these are the people that were going to try to seize him and make him king. They wanted to seize him and say, we're going to Jerusalem now. We're going to challenge the uh, religious authorities, and we're going to set you up as king because you are the prophet. These same people, now their political and physical enthusiasm over him is gone. He's not our king. He's just a crazy man teaching strange things. How fickle we can be. Yeshua therefore said to the 12, so do you want to go away? So he's made these hard statements. Some people see this as he's just making a hard statement and he's going to run them off. I don't think. I think he's just making a hard statement that they can't handle. But he's not totally tipping his hand. But then a lot of those people that did hear that after the resurrection, I'm sure, did come to him for salvation because thousands and thousands of people were coming after the resurrection. They got it. So we have to. We can't be so harsh. And think, well, they didn't get it, so they're gone. Man, you know, they're just going to die and burn in hell. No, the story's not over yet. Okay? <clears throat> so he looks at the 12, meaning everybody else left. Well, now there's a way to grow your church, right? They just went from over 10,000 to 12 from one sermon. 10,000 to 12, pretty much. Some will say maybe as many as two hundred and fifty because they did their family and others there was twelve close, but let's just say the twelve, so he looks at the twelve in verse 67 and verse sixty seven says, so now do you want to go away now then I want you to pay attention to Peter's response do you th- before I read it, before you read it, <clears throat> do you think Peter had this figured out? They're just like. They saw him walk on water. Peter got Pete got out of the boat. He turns to him, so do y'all want to go too? I mean, look, there's a mass exodus going on. Man, it's like the, the buffalo are running. Man, they're just as fast as they can get out of here. Because now I'm a crazy man. While, you know, A couple of days ago, I was the prophet and they were going to make me king. Now I'm a nut in the wilderness. <clears throat> they can't get it. There's a reason. So, they, so he looks at the Bible so, so do you want to go? Look at Peter's response. And Simon Kephas says to him, Master, to whom? Big statement. Notice that he didn't say to what? He doesn't say to what idea, what teaching, what philosophy, what gift, what miracle, what sideshow. What does he say? Who else are we going to go to? To whom are we supposed to go? Were those people going after another person? The people that left? No, they just said, <laughs> I'm out of here. This guy's a nut. Are you kidding me? And they're probably thinking, I was about to try to make him king. Nah, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm, that's, that's craziness. I'm out of here. So they look at, he turns around, he goes, so do you want to go too? And Peter goes, master, to whom shall we go? <clears throat> You possess the words of everlasting life. That is huge. Why? Peter hadn't figured it out yet. Peter's the one that will deny him. Peter's the one that during that time uh, period, uh, he's like, I'm just going to go fishing. I'm out of here. I don't understand. After the death, after Yeshua, he's like, I don't know. You know, I'm just gonna go fishing. I, you know, I need to get out of here. Yeah. They were all messed up until after the resurrection and the and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They still hadn't figured it out until after Pentecost. They were still confused. Peter hadn't got it figured out. But what does Peter say? Who else are we gonna go to? Lord, you have the words of life. Everybody else, they're just leaving. They're not going to anything other than watch this. Their own preconceived ideas and comfort zones. They want to go back to their comfort, to what they thought they understood prior to. Where else are we going to go, Lord? Only you alone have the words of life. That's huge. Folks, are we willing to follow Yeshua no matter what he says? That's a serious question and it's a loaded question. Are we truly willing to follow Yeshua no matter what he says? Uh, well, where else am I gonna go? I'm hanging my eternal life on this. And I know that I know that I know that Yeshua is the Son of God, died on the cross for my sins, resurrected three days later, not, day, not a day and a half, resurrected three days later on the Feast of fruits ascended into heaven, was witnessed by a meeting, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he's interceding for me right now, and he is physically going to come back and get me. Not a ghost. The same body that he showed up with with the apostles, and they're like, it's a ghost. He goes, a ghost, really? Okay, stick your hand in here. (laughs) All right, stick your fingers in here. By the way, you got something to eat, let me eat that. Does a ghost do that? It's flesh and blood. And then all of a sudden he just disappears, kind of like the boat going 10 miles across sea. <laughs> and they're trying to figure that out. They don't know it yet. And Peter's response is, to whom else are we going to go? I love that. I, 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 that. That is just so awesome to me. And that's, I think it's a statement, a mantra, a confession of faith that we should all try to hold on to. I'm going to go with the words of Yeshua no matter what anybody else says or does. Because the attacks are coming. And the attacks that are coming are nothing like what you've seen before. Why would I say that? Because God told us. The deceit is coming that will be so strong that, if possible, even the elect will fall for it. The number one way that Satan attacks God's people is to get you to not believe every word that's in that book the way he wrote it. And then to tell you, eh, it's just a story. You can glean out of that whatever you want. It's fine. It's not literal. I mean, it's, it's a story. I'm going to go ahead and make a plug here. Uh, a while back, we had the movie here that we watched, Patterns of Evidence. Powerful. It was great. I don't know if you know this or not, but he has another one coming out next week that you really should go to the movie and watch. Patterns of Evidence, The Moses Controversy. That's the title of it. Uh, he's doing more than just that one. He's going to do one, I believe, from little tidbits I'm picking up, counselor in me, radar picking up. I think he's going to do one literally on the Red Sea crossing and a number of other things. But this one's coming out next week, Patterns of Evidence, the Moses Controversy. Because watch this. Most people, and I heard some of this even at Criswell College, but most people don't believe that Moses really wrote it and that it was basically, the Torah, and that it was basically patterned after Four documents, JPE and something else, I think. four documents they come up with a document theory. Anybody ever hear about the document theory? It's out there, prevalent. It's been around for a long, long, long time. And as a matter of fact, you know I mean how could Moses write it? Some of it was written after he died. Well, Joshua wrote it for crying out loud. <laughs> It's just that last little bit when it talks about Moses going up on the mountain and he you know, goes off to be with the Lord and he's buried up there in the mountains and, and then it's just finishing. And they're going, well, how did Moses write that? He wasn't even around. And you're telling me Moses wrote Deuteronomy? Yeah, cool your jets. It's going to be fine. <laughs> so what if the attack comes and you start going, well, no, nah, well, I don't know. As for me, and as far as I can do, my house, we're going to stick with Yeshua. No matter what the world, politics, or science, or archaeology tries to get me to believe. Is there such a thing as fake news? Is there such a thing as fake news even on Facebook? Can they make fake videos of athletic Events. Is that possible? I don't know about you, but I've seen guys jump 15 blocks and do stuff. You know, like how in the world did they do that. Anybody ever see the brute anybody know who Bruce Lee is? Did you see the Bruce Lee videos of, of him doing with the the uh ping pong deal with the nunchucks? Looks real. It ain't. And they've proven it, where they took these videos and they just melded them together. And they can make anything look like anything. Um, folks, I'm going to stick with Yeshua no matter what. Amen. He goes, and we have, he didn't just stop there. He goes, we know that you have the words of everlasting life. And we have believed and know that you are the Messiah, the son of God. So he's saying that at this point, everything that you've done, Peter's basically saying, I'm good. I'm good. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. I'm not going anywhere. I'm sticking with you, Jesus. I'm sticking with you. I just, I love that. Uh, Let me write down what I've got here. Uh, This is a fascinating confession. Peter states that they believe and know, but in fact, they didn't completely know or completely believe yet, right? He hadn't died yet. It hadn't freaked them out. They did not understand all that Yeshua was saying and would not until after the resurrection. Before the resurrection, they were ready to go back to fishing. They were confused. Their hopes were crushed. Then they saw him alive again and eventually received the Holy Spirit who revealed all truth to them. We could learn much from the confession of Peter. Are we willing to confess that we believe and know, even in our limited understanding and weak faith, that we still believe and trust? Do we need all the answers up front before we put our trust in him and his word? Some do. Notice this. In John 20, we'll get there a few months from now, verse nine, for they did not yet know the scripture that he had to rise again from the dead. That's not until John 20. When John tells us right here about himself, that they, himself, we didn't fully understand the scriptures when it talked about it, that he needed to rise again from the dead. It wasn't until after the resurrection that most of these prophecies about the Messiah then finally made sense. And why? Because God needed to give, keep it hidden in plain sight until after the death, burial, and resurrection. And then watch this. <clears throat> after he says that, Yeshua answers him and says, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. Never lose sight of that. Yeshua knew it and he goes, But who chose them? He did. And throughout, we'll get there much later. <clears throat> Yeshua constantly gives Judas signs and statements to back out. He offers him we'll get there later when we get to the the Last Supper and all these things, all these things he was doing, saying, "You, you have a choice, but you can't get it. And he already knows it, he goes, but you have a choice. That's why he even goes, really, you're gonna betray me with a kiss, really? Judas Iscariot, that's what we know him by, right? The word Iscariot's a little odd. Most people refer to that as where he was from, but it's not that clear. Do you know that there was a group of Jews that hated the fact, they not only hated the fact that they were under Roman rule, but they also hated the other Jews that uh, assimilated into the Roman rule and were traitors to the Jewish people. So you know what they would do? They would assassinate them and they were called the Ascari's. <laughs> you see, if that's the case, and if Judas was part of that group, and a very militant group, and wanted a military answer, and that that's what he was after consistently, then it would make sense when he couldn't understand what Yeshua was doing that he'd go, you know what? I'm going to cut to the chase here and we're going to make something happen. And then he finds out that even he didn't understand, got ahead of himself, and he goes and hangs himself. So right here where he says he knows that one of them is the devil. Now John is writing this obviously after the fact. He was now speaking of Yehuda from Kirioth or Judas Iscariot. Remember this is written in English for us to read. The son of Shimon for he was one of the 12 was about to deliver him up. So in this section here what I want you to see is that Yeshua is trying to speak as plainly as possible. But when he says something that we can't quite wrap our brain around, we should slow down and watch this. We should admit, if I don't understand it, that doesn't matter. He said it, that's it. Settled. Settled. What if that doesn't fit your doctrine? What if that doesn't fit your... Church tradition, what if that doesn't fit what you've heard all your life? You see, when I start talking to people about what I believe now, I try to keep it real simple, and I go, okay, let's answer one question first. Is Yeshua God? Did he always exist? Is he one with the Father? Would he ever lie to us? Would he ever intentionally lead us astray? Could he be confused? Maybe he was wrong, he just didn't understand yet. Would anybody here agree to any of those comments? Still waiting. (laughs) No, if so, please stay afterwards so we can talk. I wouldn't agree to any of those statements. He is God, he wouldn't lead us astray, he couldn't be wrong, he's always gonna tell us the truth, therefore we should just go with what he says right? But if I read anything else in my Bible that seems to contradict what Yeshua said, why would I go with that? I'm going to go with what Yeshua said, right? Now, you've been with me for a while, so you already know what I'm talking about. You're like, okay, I'm good with that. But I still feel very strongly that I need to help us understand That needs to be, that needs to get into your DNA. Your philosophical, mental, spiritual, and biblical DNA. Because if it doesn't, what's coming could trip you up. If you're not willing to say, look, I will jump off the cliff on these truths, wherever it takes me either to the bottom or up to heaven but i will i will go to my grave these are fundamental truths i will not let go of i will not let go of these facts period <clears throat> oh good then you go that's that's that is the foundation we go on that and then we keep going forward Because if if he's gonna say some things that we don't totally understand, we should be, oh, that's okay. Why? Because he's not gonna tip his hand. For instance, in the book of Revelation, it talks about that all of this trouble is gonna come and it says, and he's gonna cut the day short for the sake of the elect. What does that really mean? Anybody that tells you they've got that totally figured out is lying because we don't know. Doesn't mean he's gonna cut it short. If it's a three and a half year period, does that mean he's going to make it three years or a year and a half? And does he cut it off at the end or cut it off at the beginning? Well, we don't know. He just says that time he will cut the day short for the sake of the elect. It doesn't mean he's going to take a day and turn it into 22 hours. <laughs> I don't think. But if he does, hallelujah, whatever. It's fine with me, Right? We don't, so I'm just saying if there are other things that you might read in the scriptures that don't quite make sense, it's okay. We shouldn't need all the answers up front before we say I'm good. Because if we say I need the answers before I say I'm good, then you're basically placing yourself above your God that you say you worship. And folks, that's why when you witness to people and they constantly want more proof, more proof, more proof, more proof, More proof. They seldom, if ever, come. Why? Because they're not really hearing from God from a humanistic standpoint. They want proof before they're willing to commit. You're going to have to prove to me that he's God. He rose from the dead and walked on the earth. Well, you can't prove that. Well, yes, I can, even in a court in a court of law, did you know that the resurrection of the Savior is easier to prove than it is to prove that Abraham Lincoln ever lived in our country? From all the circumstantial evidence, some of the highest-ranking legal officials in our country in the last couple hundred years have stated more than one time that the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus is one of the easiest cases to prove in any court in the United States. I, well, I don't have time to chase those sermons that are flying through my head. But my point is, we shouldn't need answers before we say okay. Okay. The only answer we need is that Yeshua is the king of kings, God of all gods, the king of glory, the Messiah, the prophet, the bridegroom. And he came and he died and he rose again. And he's coming back. Anybody else that preaches anything other than that, it's a false gospel, according to Paul, and the person should be accursed which goes right back to the Old Testament when God says any prophet that says I said something when I didn't say it, he's dead. And don't even repeat what he says. God loves you so much. And he's talking as plainly as we can hear. When you get confused, it's okay. When you can't find the answer, has anybody ever chased after an answer and you just couldn't find it? Did it kind of mess you up? Well, relax, because guess what? You're not going to find the answer to all of them. That's okay. Maybe you're not supposed to know yet. It's all right. Relax. It's all good. He's got it all under control. It's going to be fine. He loves you, died for you, wants to have a relationship with you. The king of glory wants to walk with you.